All right. Brand new year. Like I said, I'm not big on New Year's resolutions. I'm not big on this kind of arbitrary point we put in, you know, line we draw in the sand. It, it seems to me that, one, let me be clear, we should draw lines in the sand. There are times when you, we need to say that starting right now, I'm going to do this. The thing about New Year's that always confused me is it's like people in June are like, I really want to do this thing. I guess I'll wait six months till it's New Year's so I can have a resolution. That's always just seemed odd to me. Why would you? I mean, I'm okay with, with drawing a line in the sand and saying from this point forward, but why, what's so special about New Year's other than it's when our calendar flips and it's just kind of got this, yeah, I just don't get it. I think you, sh- you know, starting something new on January 1st is not any, any more special. It doesn't have any more onus or weight than starting something new on March 31st. There's no difference in my eyes. But I do recognize that it's a common time that people do do their New Year's resolutions. You know, I think they say most resolutions aren't followed through with, but this morning, by the end of this, I'm hoping that you make a New Year's resolution that you will follow through with, just like I prayed. Today is going to be a challenging message to everybody in this room. One of the things that I've committed to do as I preach the word is to not water it down. I've committed to challenging people to be involved in the kingdom of heaven. I've been chal- I'm, I'm committed to challenging people to be more than, than just people that come in Sunday morning and sit on their blessed assurance. Instead, we should be committed to furthering the kingdom of heaven. If you're part of a church, you should be involved in that church. If you love God, your natural response should be to serve Him and to be obedient to Him. If you are born again, the natural response is to, to, to respond in the only way that we can because we can't earn it, we can't make up for it. But certainly, if I were to come and, and buy any one of you guys lunch, if we met out on a, on a weekday night and say, hey, let me buy you lunch, certainly each and every one of you would wonder when would be the time that you could repay that favor. It's super common. I see it all the time. I buy lunch for somebody at work, and the next time, oh, I got you this time. You got me last time. Everybody always wants to. So why don't we respond the same way to God who gave everything to us? We should respond in kind and give everything to Him. And today, I hope, is a day that if you haven't already, you'll make a decision not just to be born again, but to serve Him with everything that you have. Because this is a time of year when people make brand new decisions. And the truth is, everything that we do in life is based on the decisions that we make. Everything you do is a result of a decision that you have made. And the truth is, you are responsible for your own life. You're responsible for the decisions that you make. That's one of the things that will drive many people crazy, is, is if you've ever met somebody that everything is always somebody else's fault. Anybody ever met someone like that? Nothing drives people crazy more. If you are one of those people, stop. Take responsibility for your own actions. Take responsibility for what's going on in your life. Even if you've been dealt a bad hand, and trust me, many people have been dealt bad hands, you can still take responsibility for climbing and clawing your way out of it instead of just staying in the filth. Take responsibility. And today specifically, I want to look at taking responsibility for what God has called you to do. I want you to know right now that every single person in this room, God has a specific plan and purpose for your life. God has something that he wants to do with your life. So the question is, will you say yes? Will you just keep doing what you've always been doing? Or worse, even run away? 
And I don't say this to make people feel bad or, or make people feel, feel condemned because I can tell you with, with honesty that that was me for a long time. I got saved when I was seven years old was the first time that I said the sinner's prayer. And for 20 years, I just sat on the start line. I didn't do anything. I had enough faith to be saved some of the time, but most of the time, not even that. I believed in God. I knew there was a Jesus. I, I said he was my savior, but I lived like he wasn't. And I, I ran. And then finally, God finally got a hold of my heart and something amazing happened. And I was truly born again. And this was in, in October of, I don't know, probably eight or ten years ago. No, more than that. I don't know. I have pictures with a date on it. That's how I remember the date. I'll go look it up. It's funny. There's many people that commit things to memory, and I've always been one when I was in high school. A teacher said that Einstein said this. I think I've done research in the past, and and he probably isn't the one who said it. It's just been attributed to him. But basically, the saying goes, don't commit anything to memory that you can look up. And I've taken that to heart my entire life. I don't memorize anything, especially in today's day and age. You can find the answer to anything if you want it. So I don't remember what date it was, but I remember what happened that day, and God touched me, and that's when I, was, when I fully said, you know what, God, I'm giving it to you. And not only did I, I, I reaffirm my life to God and was I born again, but at that moment, I, I, I was done playing around. I got filled with the Holy Spirit, began speaking in other tongues, and I was committed to serve God. I made a commitment. I made a decision. You want to know what happened after that? A week later, I went and talked to my pastor. Or the guy who was at this, it was a men's retreat, and he was the one speaking there. He was a pastor. I said, hey, God wants me to do something. I know he does, and, and, I, and I, I know he has a plan for my life. I just don't know what it is. I had an idea of what I wanted to do, but I, I, uh, I don't know what it is. And he said, well, talk to your pastor. That's what he's there for. So I went and talked to my pastor. and I said, Pastor Mike, I, I, I know that there's something that God wants for me to do. I can feel it that's just burning inside of me. I know God has a plan for my life. And he looked at me and said, you're going to be a preacher. And I, I wanted to go outside. You know, I'm going to go outside and come back in, pick something else. Because that's not what I want to do for two years. I sat and I ran from that. And I argued with God. I said I wasn't going to do that. And God was relentless. And I was stubborn. But after two years, I finally just said, fine. I said, whatever you want, God, fine. And I felt, it was, it was something like that. And listen, I'm just being real with you guys. Maybe you guys have, have more spiritual relationships and speaking talks with God. But I'm just thankful I didn't come out of it with a limp. So <laughs> I I said, fine, and the most incredible sense of peace, this isn't even in my message today, just so you guys know, but the most incredible sense of peace came over me when I stopped running. And I said, Michelle, I was, it was late at night. The next day, I, I, Michelle worked nights. So she came home and I said, Michelle, we're going to be pastors. Then she fought it for like a year. <laughs> it's funny, when God will answer your prayers, Michelle, when, when we first met, um, she, she prayed that she would meet a, 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 a godly man. And she didn't really mean it. And I just looked like... <laughs> no, I'm serious because when we were living a life where we wanted to look like we were doing the right things, right? We wanted to say we were Christians, but we weren't living that way. So she said she wanted a godly man, not realizing what she was asking. And she met a guy who was, who was willing to get what amounts to what looks like a prison tattoo of a cross on his arm because I went to one of our friends that... Don't go to friends to get tattoos. Um, so... 
where was I? You guys are distracting me. So, so she actually sent me a godly man, and, and you know I looked like one because I could pretend like, I, but I wasn't. But I, I looked like one, so she got me. And then God said, "But you don't know what you asked. I'm giving you a godly man." But she said, "God, I didn't ask for a pastor. I just wanted a godly man." And it took some time, but this is where we're at now. I ran away for so long. Boy, and I wish I could tell you that as soon as I said yes to God, everything was easy. Everything was perfect. I mean, I was untouchable, but no. Life was still hard. I still had to face things. Matter of fact, I faced things that I never would have had to face if I had not been a pastor or started on that path. But it was, it's, it's been worth it the entire time. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Because I've seen amazing things. I've seen people grow in Christ. I've seen people give their lives. I've seen so much good when God touches someone's life. And I'll trade it for all the bad that I... I wouldn't trade it for all the bad that I've seen any day because it's been worth it. But I had to make a decision and respond to the call that God had put on my life. Now, I'm not saying everybody in here is called to be a pastor. But you might be. You know when God's speaking to you. So the question is, are you going to say yes? Or are you going to keep la, 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 la every time God talks? Like I said, I'm not trying to condemn you. I've been there. For years I ran from God. I understand it. I get it. But the thing is, is that God has made you for a reason. You have a plan and purpose for your life. You know, the thing that that I think back about, one of the things that I regret the most is that, like I said, I, I, I said the sinner's prayer for the first time when I was seven years old. But I never lived like it for 20 years. What could I have accomplished for the kingdom of heaven if I had just said yes all those years ago? What do you mean if you'd have said yes at seven? What could you do at seven? I tell you what, God can move through children. God can do amazing things. Just because they're young doesn't mean that they can't do something for the kingdom of heaven. If you've got kids, encourage them to serve the Lord because they might touch somebody's lives that you could never reach. They could bring people to know. You never know what they're going to accomplish. Certainly raise them up in the way of the Lord and see what God... You know, that's one of the things that I pray every day for my kids is I just thank God for the amazing things that they're going to do for the kingdom of heaven. And I'm going to keep praying that, even though I'm, I'm calling what I, what I don't see as if it were. I'm praying in faith they're going to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. Do you guys know why they call it a calling? Because it requires an answer. God's calling out to you. Will you say yes? We all have a choice to make. And like I said, God has a call on your life. So the question is, will you say, yes, Lord, here I am. Here I am, send me. In Genesis two fifteen through 17, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Even after you're born again, when you're restored to the position of Adam like he was in the Garden of Eden, even if that, when that happens, you still have to make a decision to serve. You still have to make a decision to be, be obedient. God made Adam and Eve, and he put them in the garden to tend it, to take care of it. And he said, you can do anything but this one thing. They only had one thing that they really had to be obedient to. You don't do this. 
But the interesting thing is, is, is even from the beginning, there was always choice involved. It was always their choice to serve. And for us, it's our choice to serve. God is not going to force you to do anything. God has a plan for your life. God wants to see you touch people's lives. He may have a plan for you to see thousands saved, but He's not going to force you to do it. He's the perfect gentleman, as it were. And the reason that He's like that is because there's no relationship without us having a choice. Forcing somebody to do something is no relationship at all, and God wants a relationship with you. So would it be better to have no choice just to be forced into what we're doing? I don't think so. If life was scripted, would that be better? I don't think so either. It might be easier. I might be thinner. You know, one of the things that makes me laugh So as you guys know, I I work full-time in IT. But one of the things that makes me laugh is when people say the computer's doing it on its own. And some of you guys are laughing because you're like, no, I've had that happen to me before. No, you haven't. (laughs) Computers don't do anything on their own. They don't operate on their own. They don't do their own things. Somebody told that computer what to do. Most of the time, computers do what a programmer has told it to do based on the input that we put into it. But they don't ever do anything on their own. Somewhere along the line, even if it's a bug, somebody instructed that computer to do what it's doing. What a computer does is always at the behest of another. Even if you don't realize you're telling it what to do. Anybody ever clicked on the little icon on the bottom of the screen and instead of one application comes up, like 17 come up? Like, why is it doing this? I just wanted one to come up. Because you clicked it 17 times because it wasn't fast enough. Click, <laughs> click, click, click. Why isn't it up? Click, 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 click. And then they all come up and we go, why is it doing this? Because you told it to. It just does what it's told to do. But you can't have a relationship with a computer because all it can do is what it's told. There's no interaction. There's no real relationship there. It only does what you tell it to do explicitly. And it certainly doesn't infer what you want it to do. One of the things that I like to do is I like to write computer code. I wrote an application for churches to use to manage their things. And one of the things that I learned while I was writing this application is the computer never does anything unless I tell it what to do. And that's actually how bugs get introduced into programs because the programmer didn't think of every little thing, every little pathway, every little option and cover it somehow. Because a computer does not infer what you want it to do. You have to tell it everything explicitly. And because of that, you can't have a relationship with it. And because of that, we have free will so that we can have a relationship with God. So that we can interact, that we can make choices. We get to choose. And as a result of being able to get to choose, we get to experience joy. We get to experience hope. We get to experience success. We get to experience triumph. Because none of those things can exist if you were just programmed to do it. So we all have a choice to serve. Even even Adam and Eve had a choice. And unfortunately, they made a poor one, which has affected all of us to this day. In Luke 1, 30-38, I want to show you a perfect example of a story that we all know. This is going to be talking about when... Um, When Mary and Joseph were spoken to by the angel, we're going to look at his story and her story and the decisions that they had to make. And in Luke 1, 30-38, it says, 
The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you will have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Can you imagine getting this message from God? And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Isn't it interesting that Mary's first response was actually an unbelief? Because she couldn't fathom how God could do something that didn't fit inside her idea of how things worked. And having babies is something people have been doing for a long time. We know how that works. And she's confused. Her first, how will this even be? How is that possible? And there's so many things in our life when when God says, hey, you're going to be a pastor, and I'm like, God, you know who I am. How will that be? How is this even possible? And God may have called things to you and asked you, will you do this? And you wonder, your, your first thought is, this is impossible, God. I could never do this thing. Could you imagine? And this one, I think she's got a pretty good case to make. God, I, I just want to explain to you, you kind of made this system. You made procreation and how it works. The science behind it is kind of your plan and design kind of need somebody else involved here i mean i think she's got a case to make how will this be and then she goes on in verse 35 it says the angel answered her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child will be born to the child to be born will be called holy the son of god and behold your relative elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month if god calls you old you know you're old just so you know it says, and, and Elizabeth in her old age was also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The greatest, one of the, the, the beginning of the greatest event in history came down to the choice, the response of one young, probably 16-year-old girl. the beginning of the greatest event in history came down to her saying yes or no. She could have said no. She really could have. And I, I imagine the reasons for her to say no were numerous. Particularly in this day and age. You know, having uh, uh, relationships outside of marriage in this day was not looked upon highly. Not like, not like today where it's kind of the norm and everybody's okay with doing it and it's not even a big deal. Matter of fact, even in the church, it's pretty common. This, is, this, is, this isn't like people are going to point and stare either. This is like drag her out in the street and stone her kind of offense. There's plenty of reasons to say no. Imagine explaining this to your husband. I promise, Joseph, I didn't cheat on you. I wasn't with another... Really? Because he knows how this works too. <laughs> Can you imagine? And she starts off in unbelief because she doesn't understand how this could possibly happen. She says, God, how is this even possible? But I love that that's not where she stays. If you've ever had a moment in your life when God tells you to do something, He's calling you to do something, and you don't understand how it goes, and you start off in unbelief, just know you don't have to stay there. Because she didn't stay there. She didn't understand. And then God says, well, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And what is her response? She says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. 
If God's calling you to do so, I want you to know that's the right answer. Whatever that one is, A, B, C, circle that one. That's the right answer. Let it be done to me according to your word. She decides, she starts in unbelief, but she decides to trust God. She fell, but she gets right back up. Don't ever stay in a situation of unbelief. Get back up and put your faith back in him. But this isn't even where the story ends because now we've got Joseph on the other side. In Matthew 1, 18 through 21, it says, Now the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had betrothed Joseph to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. He knew how things worked. And he says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Had Joseph made a different decision, what do you suppose would have happened to her? She would have been homeless. She wouldn't have been taken care of. Because if Joseph would have rejected her for getting pregnant outside of wedlock, Her folks, her parents would have probably rejected her. She probably wouldn't have had a place to go. It would have certainly be a different story. The thing that I want to point out here is that not only does being disobedient to your calling, not answering your calling, affect you and what God wants to do through your life, but it can certainly affect what God wants to do through other people's life as well. Had my wife not finally said, okay, let's do this, and, and stood alongside of me, I wouldn't be able to have the ministry that I have today. It's impossible to pastor a church when, you're, when your wife is not alongside you. Had Joseph said no, what would the story have turned out like? I mean, it was hard enough for them as it was with two of them having to run from, uh, from, from people trying to kill them and going all over the place and not having places to stay. It was already rough for the two of them. What if she was by herself? Had Joseph said no, his not answering his calling would have affected her. And the truth is, when you don't answer yours, it's going to affect others. Imagine what the effect you're going to have on your children if you're not serving God like you should. What kind of example are you setting for them? And I get it, church. I understand why sometimes it's so easy to run away. Because fear causes such a visceral reaction inside of us. It causes us to do stupid things. Because we're afraid. Joseph could certainly have been afraid. I mean, even when the, 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 you know, the thing we look at this is I think so many times we go, well, he's got it easy. An angel came from heaven and told him. So he knew it was God. I don't think that made it any easier. At least not to be obedient. It may have been easier to understand that it was God who was speaking, but it doesn't make it any easier to be obedient My biggest thing that I've ever had in my life is I always tell people I don't have a problem hearing from God. I hear from God all the time. My biggest problem is I'm sometimes terrible at listening. And I choose to ignore Him or I justify it away because I'm afraid. I mean, can you imagine? I want you to know that, that this stigma followed them for the rest of their life. Nobody understood I mean, how do you tell somebody that? No, 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 it's okay. This is the Son of God. Can you imagine making that case to your neighbor? 
Because you know who didn't show up to the neighbor? An angel saying, no, 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 really, this is the Son of God. It's not any easier just because they got a visitation from heaven. They still had to make the choice to serve. So the question is, even when it's hard, will you endure and say yes? In Numbers 14, 28-30, it says, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, which you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward, who have grumbled against me, and not one shall make it into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. This is an interesting story, because this is about the nation of Israel not saying yes, because of the report of 10 of the 12 spies. You guys know the story. The spies go into the land. God says, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a promised land. It's yours. Just go take it. I've already given it to you. Just, just occupy it. And they said, oh no, the people there are too big. And they said that, that we're like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in theirs. And God says, fine, if this is the way you see yourself, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do to you as you said. And you're not going to make it in. Now one, I want you to notice some things here. They were still God's chosen people. They didn't stop being God's chosen people because they did something stupid. They were still loved by God, and we know the rest of the story, right? Even in their disobedience, God took care of them. They went 40 uh, 40 years in the desert. The, The clothes didn't wear out. They had food from heaven. They were taken care of. God still loved them, even though they were disobedient. But they lost out on their blessing. They lost out on what God wanted for their lives because they said no. When you don't say yes, you're not going to lose your salvation. God's still going to love you. But I do believe that you can remove yourself from God's blessing in your life. I do believe that you can make it impossible for God to work in your life because you won't let him in. He says, what you have said. Where did that go? He says, what you have said. In my hearing, I will do to you. And the question is, who caused the problem that they're having? Was it God or was it them? It was the people. Acts 7.39 says, Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside in their hearts, and they turned to Egypt. This is in the New Testament, declaring that. It wasn't God who caused this issue. It was them by refusing them. They're the ones that said they would be destroyed by giants. In Hebrews 3.18-19, Hebrews 3, it says, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So that we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Basically, they rationalized the whole situation. They laid out their laundry list of excuses, their pros and cons. And they had God was with us on one side and all the bad stuff on the other. And somehow they didn't realize that even though the list was longer, God was bigger. This wasn't a punishment from God, I don't believe. They turned their backs to him. And in their hearts, they actually wanted to go back to Egypt, is what they said. They wanted to go back to what was. It was their own doing, their own decisions that caused them to go where they were. That's why in Luke 9.62, Jesus says, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. What he's saying is that when you make this decision to go forward and to do this thing for the kingdom of heaven, you need to stick to it. Because you know what happens when you look back? So this is, this is the, the illustration what, what Jesus is talking about. 
You're running the plow. You've got the cow in front of us. You're running the plow. And have you ever noticed that if you're walking somewhere, wherever you look is where you go? So they're plowing, plowing, and they look back. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you know, they're going somewhere. That's exactly what he's talking about. That's why you're unfit, because you take your eyes off, 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 the, off the prize, what God has called you to do. They actually have to specifically train you for that in the military when you're walking and making your way. You have to find landmarks when you're, when you're doing survival training and stuff because even the truth is if you're not focused on where you're going, your eyes on where you're going, just the fact that by naturally people's legs are, are slightly different widths, or widths, lengths, probably widths too, different lengths. And just that small amount, depending on if you're right-handed or left-handed, which one's longer, will actually cause you to slightly veer off course. When I was in the army, that's what they taught us. You have to pick something in the distance and walk towards it. Otherwise, if you just try to go straight, you'll veer. You have to keep your eyes on the prize. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus if you want to go where he wants you to go. In the scriptures, they couldn't enter into his rest because of their unbelief. It doesn't say they couldn't enter into the rest because of what God did, but it was what they did. They, they didn't believe that God would do what he said he would do. They wouldn't say yes because they were afraid. And they weren't eternally damned but they were definitely missing out on what God had for their lives. They were missing out on the blessing that God had for their lives. I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to miss out on the blessing in my life. And I certainly don't want it ever said. Because here's the thing. The truth is, is you're not going to thwart the plan of God. You're not big enough to thwart. It just means that somebody else is going to have to do what you were supposed to do. It's the reason why in a church that 20% of the people do 80% of the work because somebody has to do what you were supposed to do. And I never wanted said of me that somebody else had to do what God called me to do. I want to be obedient because I, I look upon what he's done for me and how can I do anything else? In Revelations 3.16 it says, So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Here's the other thing. If you won't say yes, at least don't be halfway. At least God can work with you if you just say no and run the other direction. But this, this halfway thing is a real problem in the church and in, in being effective for the kingdom of God. Anybody guys ever seen War Room? Yeah. The movie with... Uh, I, one of the best illustrations ever is when she's coming in and she's trying to explain how, no, she basically serves God and she serves her the lukewarm cup of coffee. And she takes her, this is awful. It's just hardly warm. She's like, oh, you don't like that, huh? <laughs> See, that's the thing. When we're halfway, when we're lukewarm, we're ineffective. The truth is, if you really don't want to be effective in the kingdom of heaven, just sit on the fence. In Matthew seventeen nine nineteen, sorry, Matthew seven nineteen, it says every tree that is done, does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. If you don't actually look into this a little bit, it can it can make it sound like that it's it's a salvation thing that he's talking about, but it's not. He's not saying that if you don't bear good fruit, then you're cut down and you're not saved anymore. No, you can still be saved. You're just not effective for anything. You can't be used for anything. You're not producing fruit. Matter of fact, the only thing that you're worth is cutting you down, and at least we can throw you in the fire and get a little bit of warmth, is basically what he's saying. Because you're not bearing fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you're only good for kindling. And like I said, I, this message today isn't about convicting or, or isn't about condemning you. 
certainly is about convicting you. I want to challenge people to get involved for the kingdom of heaven. I want to challenge people to step out in what God has for the life. I want to challenge people because I want to see what God has planned for you and what you're going to do for the kingdom of heaven. Don't be lukewarm. Go all in. Give everything that you've got. See what God will do through you. Luke twenty two forty one through 42, we begin to read about Jesus because this is one that I find most interesting is that Jesus had a choice. Luke twenty two forty one through 42, he says, He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus was 100% man, but he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. The scripture says that, that uh, in Philippians 2, 7 through 8, it says he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was God, but he was man. He still dealt with everything. The scripture says that he faced every temptation that man faced. He lived as a man. He had the same struggles as a man. How many know that there's not a single one of us like, man, I wish I could go to the cross. He was, he, he was afraid. He was in pain because he knew what he was going to deal with, so much so that he, 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 blood came out of his pores. And they know that that can actually happen. The, 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 with enough stress, you can actually burst the blood vessels in your forehead and cause... He was stressed out. He was afraid. He knew what he had to do. And he had a choice. And the reason I know he had a choice is because he says, God, do something else. But he says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He had the choice to act on his will. He could have ran. He what would have happened if it looked like that? But he said yes. Would you die for somebody you didn't know? Would you die for somebody you did know? They say that you're actually more likely to, uh, to jump and push somebody out of the way of like a moving train at your own risk for somebody you don't know versus somebody you do know. And the reason being is because the people that you do know, you know the bad stuff too. So, you know, you have that, that one cousin that nobody really likes. They're in front of the train. You know some stupid stuff they've done. You're like, should I or shouldn't I? <laughs> but if it's somebody you don't know, all, all we assume is the best. Even though you don't know, he could have been the, the, you know, a serial killer for all you know. That's what I find interesting about Jesus because he gave his life for you and he knew everything about you. He knows the stuff that you don't tell your spouse. He knows the stuff that you don't even, you know, you like you block out from your memory from when you kid. He knows all of that stuff. And not only did he give his life for you, not because of the thing, but in spite of those things, he still gave everything for you. He gave his life. And he called on the strength of God to do so. You know, it doesn't even have to be anything big like this. If God's calling you to do something, pray. Ask Him for strength. Let His will be done. It doesn't have to be something as big as giving your life. It could be something as simple as, as asking the, the, the Circle K clerk how her day is. Does she know that God loves her? 
Start by telling your friends about Jesus. Hey, it's a new year, great time for resolutions. Why don't you resolve to be at the prayer meeting Sunday mornings at 9 a.m.? And let's stand together for this community, for this church, for the other churches in the, other, in the area. Let's pray for the kingdom of heaven to overtake Morana. Paul's another one who had a choice. Acts 26, 19 through 20. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. What if Paul had been disobedient? He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It had been really small. Had Paul said no. Could you imagine? He's like, no, I'll just stay blind. Don't send the guy to me. What if you thought he was being tricked? What, I mean, there's any number of things. I mean, he realizes what he was doing to Christians and now he's going to become one. I mean, there's a lot of people who won't make that choice just for fear of what could happen to them. He says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. That's an interesting one too, right? When you repent and turn to God, you're supposed to do stuff in keeping with that repentance. Let me clear that up for you if you're confused. When you get saved, why don't you go ahead and live like you're saved? Live like there was a miracle that took place inside of you, not who you used to be. You know, there's going to be a day when we stand before Jesus, and I love how Dr. Leon says it. Are you going to stand before him and say, is Jesus going to say, well done? Or is he going to look at you and say, well, done? So many others in the Bible had choices to make. David didn't have to pick up that sling. Matter of fact, probably everything in his body was saying, this isn't a great idea. That's a big boy. Joshua and Caleb could have cowered with the other spies. Those two were the only two that made it in. Peter could have stayed in the boat. Can you imagine that day? Lord, if it's you, call me out. Come on out. Can it just not be you? Like, we know how water works. It's always funny. I'll see stuff on the news and and people that try to use the Bible that know nothing about the Bible reading something saying that uh, Jesus was the only one that ever walked on water. No, Peter did too. He got out there. Can you imagine though if he would have said no? And the thing is, is like Paul, many of these people endured pretty horrendic, horrific, horrendic, that's not a word, horrific things. I think I was trying to mix horrendous and horrific. That's what happened there. It's not like the word last week, lookedness, which I'm going to go with. (laughs) But uh, yeah, they they went through horrific things. I mean, Paul was shipwrecked, stoned. I mean, they went, but they said yes, he wasn't disobedient to the heavenly vision. So the question is, is, what if you have been running this whole time? What then? You guys all know the story of Jonah? Jonah 1, 
1 through 3 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh and the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down in it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes I think God put all these names so many times in the Bible so that I can stumble while I say them. (laughs) They have all these Bibles like the Message Bible and the New International Version and a New Living Translation that try to make the Bible easier to read. You know what would make the Bible? Give me me a good word-for-word translation, but just make the names easier to read. That would be good for me. Jonah is an interesting character because God says, Go and minister to this city. And he hated that city. I mean, the people are at, at odds with each other. They don't like each other. This is, I mean, this, this, is, this is like asking you guys to go hang out with, with Cowboys fans. That's basically <laughs> what he was asking them to do. And uh, Packers, yeah. So this is basically what, and God says, no, you're going to go, they're going to be saved. Their, their evil's rising up, go talk to him. And he's like, nope, I'm out. Takes off, jumps on a boat, heads out. And we all know the story, right? He removes himself from God's blessing. The world basically falls in around him. He gets in a storm, gets swallowed by a whale. I mean, that's rough. I don't think God was punishing him because if you would have just said yes, he wouldn't have had to deal with that stench. See, so many times when we run away from what God wants us to do, we end up mying ourselves in some nasty places. But the thing is, all is not lost if that's where you're at right now. You don't have to stay there. This story has a great outcome. And the thing is, if you're not there, you're, you're actually in good company because one, we see Jonah running away. Matter of fact, the nation of Israel ran away. This is why in Luke 13 through 34, Jesus said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. I love that illustration because it's the pictures of a mother hen with, with winged uh, uh, feathered wings pulling the chicks in but how many know that if you press against feathers you can still make your way through and that picture is god is trying to gather us through but he's not going to force you to stay you can press through and get out and do whatever you want and the thing is is the devil can't steal your salvation but he can certainly make you ineffective but even after he fell even after he ran away Did you know that Jonah was the most effective prophet in the Old Testament? He goes to Nineveh and he saves. You can read about it in in Jonah 3, 3 through 5. But verse 5 says, when he went there finally, he finally said, fine, I'll go. It's a funny story because he's like, fine, I'll go. He preaches to them like just angry mad. He still preaches to them. The whole city gets saved. And then he goes and sits and pouts under a tree. There are great stories in the Bible. You should read it. That's what happens. He just pouts. Wouldn't even eat. Just get back up again. That's what I've with. I mean, don't have the attitude of Jonah. God will still use you if you're, you're a pain in the butt. I know from experience. But yeah, he goes and it says, the people of Nineveh believed God. 
They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The entire city was saved. Not a single person didn't respond. What if he wouldn't have went back? What if he would have kept on? Most, I, I, most successful prophet in the, the Old Testament. And he ran away first. So get back up. Do what God's asking you to do. And we're going to go ahead and end here. Titus 3, 1 through 5. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. This is Paul talking to, to Titus, who's one of his pastors. So he's saying, Titus, tell your congregation these things, basically. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our day in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we can ask when you have somebody up here trying to get you to obey, trying to get you to answer the call of God, is the question is why? Why bother? This is why. Because when his goodness and loving kindness for God and Savior appeared, he saved us by the mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Because he gave everything to us. And because of that, Paul says, because of that, Paul says, be submissive to rulers and authorities, be obedient. That's a word that nobody likes these days anymore, is to be obedient. Be ready for every good work. Speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. I, I bet most of us can start like, man, we've got to add all of these to our list because we're definitely not doing them all. The thing is, is that He's your Lord and Savior. And He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? He gave us everything. How could we not give in return? So church, I want to encourage you. Let's be a people who say yes. Let's answer his call on our lives. Let's not run away. This morning, if you've only been partially committed, make a choice. You don't have to stay that way. God has something for you. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. So will you say yes this morning? I want to see what God can do in your lives if you'll say yes. And I hope you want to see the same. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.